0: Welcome to the Two Old Kids and Two Young Adults podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan?
1: Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more.
2: Okay, here we go. Another episode, 2 old kids and two young adults dig me i got it right um so here we are if you have not heard this show before it's the opportunity for a couple of older people who want to be kids to talk about what kids and young adults want to talk about which is what's happening in the real world we go from different topics where it could be admissions it could be financial aid last week we talked to uh, a phd uh, english guy who Taught college English and helps people write essays. And now we're swinging right back around and we're going to talk about career planning. So, um, I always look for interesting people to tell interesting stories about the work they do. So, I thought we would have on a dear friend, Ivana Cummins, this evening. And we're going to talk about an interesting topic. And I've been like keeping this away from my two young adults, because I kind of want them to get blown away by what you do, Ivana. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is just give yourself a brief introduction to our audience and to our co-hosts, Alex and Capri. And then they've got a couple questions they're going to ask you, because I think what you do is fascinating. So okay. Ivana, tell them about yourself.
0: Okay. Hi. Hey, Capri. Hi, Alex. Nice to meet you guys. I'm um, Cummins. I live in the Los Angeles area near the Harbor. Um, and I have been working at the docks for over 15 years. Um, I think I'm going on 18 here soon. And I, um, I, I, do many different jobs down there. And I can't wait to get some questions from you guys about what exactly it is that we do. We're known as longshoremen here locally in town and in the surrounding area. Um, I think our technical work title is stevedore. So if you need to look it up or if you live in another part of the country, or um, that's usually the the name that this profession goes by. And I am looking forward to answering a lot of questions from you guys. Cool. Oh.
2: Capri, take it away.
3: Okay. So starting us off nice and easy. Um, would you like to elaborate a little bit more on what a longshoreman is and also tell us about the Pacific Maritime Association?
0: Ooh, the evil Pacific Maritime Association? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So we are currently, uh, we are currently in the in contract negotiation with um, – I'm going to refer to them as PMA because that's just a lot shorter than Pacific Maritime Association. Yeah. But let me start with what a longshoreman or dock worker, I think that's the politically correct term these days, um, dock worker. We still say longshoreman quite personally. I, I don't get offended by it. Um, so in um, my classification, so I, there's a different skill levels that they teach us, Um. I'm going to start with the basics and then go up to like the uh, the higher skilled jobs. Um, so the basic jobs that we do uh, are I'm going to give you the names and then I'll go into explaining them. So we do things. Um, they're called swing, dock signal, lashing. Those are our basic jobs. And what as a lasher does is you go up on the container ships. That come into port. You go aboard, and there are these turnbuckles and these rods for lack of a better term, but they're long. they they go five containers high, three containers high, one container high. So they're different lengths. They're made out of metal. They're extremely heavy. And what lashing is is either you put those rods up on the container. And connect it to the turnbuckle or you're taking them down. So you're taking the the unbuckling the turnbuckle and bringing down those uh, lashing, they're called lashing bars, so that um, the the containers can either come come off the ship or if the ship is getting ready to set sail, you you lash it down so that those containers can have a better chance of surviving if they hit rough seas, if they go through a storm. Uh, Cargo gets lost all the time um, if you're going to ship anything. I'm not a professional at all, but I would say try to get it below deck underneath the ship. Because anything above deck, yeah, it's you know, there's a chance it's going to get lost. We've seen some very interesting things, um, ships that have hit some turbulent seas, and these containers that weigh multiple tons are coming in to the dock, and containers are crushed containers are on their side, containers get lost. They're no longer, they're no longer there. It's, it can be a very um, dangerous situation to get that cargo offloaded. The lashing bars help to keep the cargo where it needs to be. The other um, item that gets placed on these containers, and these are all above deck. Anything that goes below deck is just stacked and, and nothing happens to it. There's these things that come off of the ship, um, they call them lids. It's you know, imagine like a lid that goes on a jar. This lid comes off of a very large container ship, comes off the the ship, and gets parked or or placed on the dock so that we can access the containers that are below and and offload the cargo or load the cargo. So the other item that gets put on containers that are stacked above deck are referred to as cones. Now, when I first heard that term, I thought. You know cones that you see in the middle of the road when you're not, you know, you you can't access an area, so they put cones up. So you could. That's that was the vision in my head. I'm like, how do you get cones on there? Like that's so weird. Like, are you keeping trucks out of the lane? Like, what is happening? So I didn't really understand what a cone was until the first time I saw one. The cone is, um, like I want to say it's made out of metal or steel. It's heavy. They probably weigh 10 pounds, give or take each. And it's like a locking device that gets put on the container. When you see a container going down the highway, usually it's attached to a chassis. So it's locked in these little holes that are on each corner. Well, We put what we call cones in those little holes. So as they get stacked on top of the containers, they lock into place. Mm-hmm. So those cones and the lashing bars that we put on there help keep the, the containers from moving when it goes off to sea. The other job that's a basic job in at this bottom let's call it the bottom tier skill level is dock signal and um dock signal dock signal and dock aloft there's two. One works in the terminal with like the truckers and the other one works shipside. So dock signal works shipside. You control all of the um the trucks which I'll get to next. That are coming up next to the ship to actually receive the cargo. So, a container picks up the, I'm sorry, a crane picks up the container, takes it off the ship, puts it on um, a semi tractor that either is attached to a chassis or attached to a a trailer of some kind to actually move the container through the terminal. That person is in charge underneath the crane. They are in charge of traffic, They, they are in communication with the crane operator. A lot is reliant on that individual to make sure everybody stays safe. Dock loft is in the other part of the terminal that is not shipside. They either working with the train or working with the outside truckers and safely making sure the containers land on a chassis and then leave the terminal. Second level of job. Sorry, this is a long.
3: okay. We're. We know nothing. So this is very informative. The
0: second level job is what we call a UTR driver. That's a semi-tractor. I looked up UTR the other day just randomly because one of my kids asked me what it stood for. And I don't remember what it it stands for. But it's like a, it's not a semi-truck, but it's like a slot smaller than that. And we, um, as I just mentioned, we attach that to a chassis or some kind of trailer to move the, the containers around in the terminal. That's the second level job. Third level job that I'm trained for is clerk. A clerk takes the containers that come off of the ship and make um, and puts them into the computer where they land, literally land in the yard. Or if they're going on a train, or if they're going to an outside trucker, that clerk is kind of um, keeping inventory of where the containers are. So there's a three level of jobs that I'm personally trained in. There are other levels. For example, crane operator. So we have crane operators that work against the ship and crane operators that work in the in the terminal in the yard. What we refer to as the yard. That's where you see all of the containers stacked up. We refer to that as the yard. So there are crane operators. You may have seen them if you're if you've ever driven through the San Diego area um, near the harbor or the Los Angeles area, even rail yards will have these. They're called trans transes and they are like a three, three sided square or triangle. They're on wheels. They move containers from where they're landed on the, on the terminal onto an outside trucker or another UTR driver to move it to maybe the rails. Any cargo that comes into our ports here um, on the West Coast, if it's on a ship, it's it's a longshoreman or a dock worker that gets to move that cargo, and it can only exit the terminal via rail or via an outside trucker. That's it. So we are the key to unlocking a lot of products that come into the country or products that leave the country, not as much leaves. We send out a lot of empty containers, but the things that do come in, if it's not, it's got to be a dock worker that's getting it off the ship and getting it onto the terminal or else you can't get it. There's also top handlers. Um, Imagine a forklift, but instead of the lift being on the bottom, it's on the top. It's kind of like a claw. So it picks up containers. So a container will come off the ship. It'll get put on a trailer of some kind driven by um, a longshoreman driving the UTR. It kind of goes in a big circle and it gets picked up by a top handler. So he picks it up and lands it on the ground in the terminal. From there, an outside tracker can come and pick it up or another union worker who's who's operating a top handler will come pick up that container again, put it on the back of a trailer again that's being driven by A union member, and take it to the rail yard, where it will then get picked up by another top handler and get put on a rail cart. At that point, it's no longer it can it can leave the terminal, and we are no longer kind of in control of it. It can go out to the the public.
3: When you say um, "outside trucker," what is like what does that refer to? Just like any trucking company, or
0: Yes. Uh, well, I'm not hundred percent sure if you have to have like clearance of some kind from to be a trucking company that can actually come into a terminal to pick things up. Many trucking companies, like, so when you work as a clerk, you get familiar. Um, there are new, num- a number of trucking companies that come in. Those tr- outside truckers also have to be cleared by Homeland Security. They have to have a TWIC card. So you have to go through a certain amount of background checks for you to actually be able to come onto the terminal to be able to pick up the, the cargo.
3: And is that just like safety to make sure it doesn't get like stolen or like?
0: Whatnot? That was enacted after 9-11. We all had to go through background checks and get a TWIC card. Um, it's it's just a Homeland Security clearance thing um, after that happened after 9-11.
1: And just say a quick question on my end. So I know you mentioned <clears throat> keeping track of all the containers that get offloaded on the ships. If these are the ships I'm thinking of, there's so many containers on those. So how do you keep track of all those different containers? Do you do it manually? Do you have walk around and then put it into a system? Or like what does that process look like in terms of keeping track of all those containers?
0: So these days it's um there's a fair amount of computers assistance that goes into it. And that's actually part of, uh, well, the major issue right now with the contract negotiation, as I understand it, is that they want to automate a lot of things. If they automate, Mm. they have the rope, we call them the robots. I don't know what the proper term is for that. The robots come in, they can do our jobs, but to keep track of the containers, there's a lot of cameras Mm. on the cranes, a lot of cameras in the terminal. Um, The cameras will catch the container number. So as that container comes off the ship, camera catches the number, it gets inputted um, sometimes manually, sometimes automatically into that specific terminal's database of of containers that they've received. There's um, a manifest as well that gets sent with the ships that the um, terminals have control over so they know... These we have called 4,000 containers and each of them has its own identification number, kind of like we have a driver's license with a driver's license Mm. number or our cars have license plates. Each container has an identification number. It is visible um, on all sides, but the bottom usually it's, you can see it from the top. So the crane operator, if he is loading or offloading, he can see that container number because it's um, not embedded, but it is imprinted on the top and on each side of the container, so that you can get a clear view of it. They also sometimes man- sometimes things get lost, just like anything else, right? You- sometimes you forget where you put your keys. When that happens, they usually have to do some research, figure out which ship it was, and uh, so any at any given time, depending on the size of the ship, you could have. 4 to 6 7 dep- again depending on the size of the ship c- cranes working it so each crane has 7 to 10 utr drivers driving underneath the crane to get containers consistently because the key is is speed you want to get mm-hmm. the cargo offloaded as fast as possible onto the terminal so that it can get then to its final destination and things can get on the shelves and people can buy stuff right that's the big the big picture that we're all looking for here. We, we all want to move stuff. We want to move cargo. We want to sell goods. So sometimes what happens is they have to go back and look like, okay, it was supposed to be in this bay. That crane was offloading. So those drivers were going to this particular part of the yard. Who else was working on that part of the yard? Could it have gotten picked up by the, the rail team that was working in that area as well? And they literally have to send somebody out to look for it. So that does happen on occasion. You try not to have it happen that often because it's very time consuming. And somebody, if you can't find your container, you can't get it out of the yard, you can't get your stuff on the shelf. It's an issue. Yeah. But that does not happen as often as it used to.
1: Yeah. Especially through all that technology and like with the cameras and all those identification numbers. That exactly. makes complete sense. And so is there like certain cameras like, okay, this is camera in like zone one, that's how we know that this container is there or do you just have to like kind of eyeball and be like, okay, it's in this part of the container yard or how do you identify like which part of it it's in?
0: So if you know what, what part of the ship the container came off of, let's say for example, wow. they, they knew that it was on a bay that was the forward end. So you can have cameras that were on that part of the, the ship during that day. We think it came off on this day because the the port works almost 24 hours a day. The technically it is open 24 hours a day. So you have a day shift and a night shift. Mm-hmm. You have a hoot shift. Um, so you have to kind of estimate when did, do, when do we think it came off? If it was actually in that bay. You go back to your cameras, you look through your cameras, you can find if that container actually did come off because it, d- it does occur that you you're telling me that container was here, but it never came off the ship. Mm-hmm. So they, they can, via, via their videos and cameras that they have that are all over the terminals these days, they can pretty easily locate the the cargo these this time. But initially, when I started working there, that, that was not the case. There were not a lot of cameras, and so things would get lost and not get found until… And a stack was getting loaded, let's say to the rails or to the ship. And there's a container that's not on the paperwork. And that's the other thing we have. We do have paperwork that again is sent to us when the ship is loaded. The planners here at import plan accordingly. They know we have these containers that are already landed. These containers have to get moved. These containers are going to go to San Francisco. So a ship might come in and it's a what we call a partial only part part of it will get um, dis- discharged or offloaded, and only part of it will get reloaded, and that part's going like back up north or perhaps south to San Diego. It just depends.
1: I hope gotcha. I so, question. Yeah, definitely. So, i guess it was a lot more common back that like you know a few years ago before you got the cameras to lose it, lose everything, so, everything and there's a lot less common now. It sounds like
0: it is a lot less common, fortunately.
1: That whole process is really really interesting. Thank you.
0: Yes, of course. We also right. um, move, move vehicles. So we offload cars too. So let's say, like, for example, Los Angeles is contracted with Mercedes, Toyota, Toyota slash Lexus, Nissan slash Infiniti. So that cargo that comes in gets l- literally driven off the ship. And it sounds fun the first time around but by the time you've moved the 20th car for the day, you're like, I don't know what kind of car I'm in. I don't know what color it is. I just want to go home.
1: You'd be driving a Prius or a Lamborghini, but you're just it like, doesn't matter. I want to get out of here. It, doesn't,
0: it, is it moving? And and does it mean I'm one car cl- closer to going home? Yes.
1: <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> what that matters.
3: Um, how long does it typically take to unload a ship?
0: Oh, that's a good question. It's, varies, so we have a few sure. terminals here that are um somewhat automated um, there's a dock called l b c t it's completely automated. Those ships take like twice last time I checked about twice as long to offload as a ship that is being worked exclusively by dock workers on average, it depends um Five days is definitely a a good number that it'll take to offload, you know, four to 5,000 containers and reload because we're offloading and then we're reloading at the same time sometimes. So, and and it's the size of the ship. It could take longer um, depending on the workforce, how many people are are showing up to work because um, so… The level I was at for a very long time was called casual. I was only obligated to work one day every six months. Then there's the next level, which is an, an ID, and identified worker. They're obligated to work 70% of the time. And then there's the next level, which is, um, they're referred to as A-books here. They only have to work about a day a month. So they have they have thousands and thousands of employees. You kind of, in that regard when there is work, you set your own schedule. And I say when there is work because work definitely slows down depending on what's happening with the economy
1: mm-hmm.
0: or Chinese Chinese New Year. Like Chinese New Year's slow. You may not work. for like at, at the level I was at for a very long time is casual. We wouldn't work for maybe a month because it takes a ship approximately two to three weeks to get here from China. Mm-hmm. So when Chinese New Year's hit, hits, you go t- about 10 to 12 days with nothing getting loaded. And then it's another three week, two to three weeks for the ship to get here. Yeah. So it's, it's a solid month of a very slow period of time. But to That's answer your question, crazy. on average, five to seven days to offload a ship with longshoremen.
3: That's... I don't know what time frame I was expecting exactly, but that is a lot longer than anything I thought was possible.
1: Yeah. I was not expecting five days. Yeah. Something a little bit shorter than that. But it makes I, sense when there's like 5,000 containers.
0: Yes. And then the ships that are, are at the automated dock can take 10 days. Wow. Oh. You know, you got robots working it. Um, it's a little slower. There's um, just, a, a, you know, not things that go wrong so much, Um but that's the, just a, a slower pace than when the longshoremen work, are driving the containers underneath the c- crane operators, picking it up, putting it on. It's more co- a constant flow. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the robots, it's a, it's a slower pace. It's, that's, it's kind of the only way I can describe it. Well, the, the auto ships do, do go much faster. So an auto ship might get done in a day. We might take two to 3,000 cars off in a day.
2: Wow, yeah. that's I'm a lot, lot of driving. It's a lot that's of cars. Yes. So, Yvonne, I've got a few questions. Um, you talked about um, shifts, and I would imagine when you're the new kid on the block, you kind of take what you can get. Mm. Yes. But I would I would imagine that also provides an opportunity if you're going to a local college to you can kind of wrap that schedule around school and. Um, and your in your responsibilities in the classroom, do you find that there are a number of people there um, that are working there but are also doing other things like getting an education or maybe doing some other work while their number gets called for them to move up in the quote unquote work food chain?
0: Yes, there are many people who do multiple um, multiple, sometimes multiple jobs. Sometimes you have people who are like, no, I really want to focus on this. So I just, I drive Uber on the side. Um, You have your construction workers. You have your people who work at an office. I was going to, I would work when things were really busy. I would literally go to my law firm job during the day, leave there at four, drive over to the dispatch hall by 4.30, still in my law firm work clothes and heels, get in line, pick up a job change in the bathroom there at the, at the dispatch hall, drive out to the terminal, work, get some dinner, go back to work, go to sleep, at, get home at like two, three o'clock in the morning, get a few hours sleep and be back at the law firm at eight o'clock in the morning. Wow. So wow. I, I did that for w- when, it was, when I first got in and, and it was really busy. It was like really busy. So that was something I could literally do every day. But then there's really slow times when, like, when the economy crashed, I think it was what 2008, 2008, Mm 2000, there was no work, none. Like, ships were coming in, but only like the higher tier people were actually working. So you had to rely on whatever other gig or hustle you had going on at the time. Like, maybe you, you went but people went back to what they were doing before they started doing the the longshore, the casual, what we call casual level work because they were not able to make ends meet. Now, interestingly enough, if you only work, I think it's two days uh, or you go like a full week without working for whatever reason, there wasn't any work at you at this level, at the level I was at for 15 years, you can collect unemployment. That was kind of neat. So when it was slow, I was like, well, I'm going to go travel. I can collect unemployment. Might work. as well. So I was able to do that. That was, that was great. And then I came back and I was like, all right, I got to, me personally, I was like, I want to do some things. So I'm going to go back to a law firm job full time because I had actually stopped for a while because working day and night like, was really hard. I did it mm-hmm. for a month and I was like, I, I can't do this. I got to pick one or the other. So I went with the long shore for a while until it slowed down and then when it slowed down i was like well i, I got this I, I got this law firm thing so i know how to do it i know how to be a secretary there i can i can go back to that at any time so that's yeah. what i ultimately chose to do um, there are plenty of people who do school especially now where it's online so much of it is online you can do it at your own pace or you can you know join via zoom plenty of people are doing the school and working the the longshore stuff because they can um when you get to an identified worker, it's a little harder because you do have to work the seventy percent of the time, and they do hold you accountable for that. They they really were lenient during the COVID times, like the lockdown times that you they had a, a lot of leniency there. However, because um, of the the back, we had a backlog. I don't know any other way to put it. Like the ships were parked out here. They really started to. Ask the the longshoremen to like, please. Like, we need you guys to work. So they started to enforce the seventy percent rule. So they had to get there. If, if you don't meet your seventy percent, there are penalties um, with regards to how long you have to stay as, as an identified worker, and when you get to become what's called the A book, um, they. I don't know specifically what they were doing, but I know that there were some some issue. If you didn't meet your seventy percent quota, you got penalized um, with your ability to to elevate.
1: When you say the seventy uh, percent quota, like you have to work seventy percent of the time, is that seventy percent like the days out of the year, or what exactly does that number mean?
0: Seven, that's a great question. Seventy percent of the quarter, and okay. Um, It's only Monday through Friday. So you're like, because the docks are open uh, seven days a week, almost 24 hours a day, it's it's Monday through Friday, 70% of 40 hours.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Good to know.
2: So, Ivana, I was uh, looking over at this, uh, to use the cool kids expression, PMA website. And I noticed on there that it said that registered longshoremen longshore workers can earn, well, I'm going to read it exactly because I copied and pasted. It was so significant. It caught my, it took my breath away, actually. Registered longshore workers earn nearly $195,000 a year on average. And when I hear the word average, that means there's a whole bunch of people making more. There's a whole bunch of people making less, but 195 grand a year is a lot of money, and it says that's roughly three times the U.S. median household income. So I kind of get why you were vacillating and trying to figure out if you were going to be in the law office or work as a longshore worker. Um, I'm kind of curious, what does how long does somebody work and work their way up to they can find a place where they're making that type of income? Because I've been in your neighborhood. I've seen some Corvettes. I've seen some really nice houses. There's some folks living around there who have a nice, um, a really nice living, but I'm curious how long does it take for somebody to get to that status if they're really uh, committed to uh, making that a career?
0: So that should be a really easy question to answer, and it's going to be packed. So let me tell you what happens you, you start as a casual and there is no set time period that you will be at that level. It's just a matter of when does, does the union, when is the union on the one hand and PMA on the other hand, because both of them have to have to work together when they say, okay, we're going to bring, we're going to hire as identified workers, X amount of individuals. Then it it's the it's based on hours. So if you have, you know, the cutoff is 2,500 hours, just throwing out a number. Everybody who has 2,500 and above, you get hired. You get to become a registered union ILWU person. That is not set. At, there, is no, there is no benchmark. There is no timeline. That can happen at any time. So um, in 18 years, it happened two years after I started working as a, as a casual. And if I had completely focused all of my time and attention from day one of being able to work there, I would have made the cut in two years. I, I didn't because I thought there is, I, I had come in on the back end of a mass hiring and I thought there is no way they're going to hire again in two years. None. Maybe 10 years. So they hired again in two years. I missed the cut they didn't hire again for eight years. And I missed that cut too, because at that point I had like done my own thing, traveled, got married, had a family, worked other jobs, started my own business, like lived life like a a person, a normal, I'm going to say normal person. And this this long short thing was just like something I did for, okay, we're going to go on vacation. I'm going to go work a few days and make some extra cash. That was like that kind of thing for me. So um, after the 10-year marker, I think they didn't hire again for another five years. So there is no knowing when they're actually going to do it again, when they're going to hire again. Now they've been on a mass hiring. In the last year, less than a year and a half, they have hired 1,600 people to become registered, identified longshore workers. Now they are still bringing in hundreds and hundreds of casual, what we call casuals, so that the lower tier kids, people, you have to, and that's a lottery process. There is no application you can fill out to just do it. So what happens is they're going to hire, they're going to hire casuals is what they say. And you send in a postcard to a designated address. You get thrown, your postcard gets thrown in a bucket, a very large bucket. When I did the process, I think there were like 200,000 postcards that went in.
1: Wow!
0: I was picked number 54 out of, so out of the 200,000, they picked, I think, I don't know if it was 10,000 at the time or 20,000, like, I got picked out of that. And then out of that, I was number 54. If I would really focused, things would have been different. I didn't. That's okay. I'm okay with it. So um, the, the money though, this is what happens. Once you become a registered union person, you can do what they call double back. Probably one of the only... Um, industries, you hear that term. A double double back or double backing means that you pick up a shift, let's say tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., 7, 7 a.m., you go to the dispatch hall, you pick up a shift, you work your shift. You, you may work... This is the other thing about long shoring, like that swing job I mentioned earlier where you put the cones on or that dock signal, that job, because of the way it's been negotiated and it can change at any time, that the dock signal works 3 hours and you get paid for 8. And a swing person normally works 4 hours, gets paid for 8. That can change at any time. This this contract negotiation could go bad and we can be working 8-hour shifts all over again, which is what we were doing when I first started working as a casual. We were under what we call under the hook, under the crane. 8 hours on your feet, working hard, Making sure you don't get hit by by somebody driving stupidly with a UTR. It's a dangerous job. Like, don't, I don't want any of this to sound like it's fluff and fun and unicorns and rainbows because it's totally not. It is, it can be very dangerous. You have to be on your toes at all times. But let's say somebody goes to the, to the dispatch hall, they get pick up a job, they work their shift, whatever it might be. They might drive a UTR and they're working, you know, six to eight hours that day. They go back to the dispatch hall for the night side and they pick up another shift and they work another six, eight. If they're on on what's called a finish up, let's say that that ship has to set sail and it's finishing tonight. You're obligated to stay there until that ship is done. So you could be there 10 hours. But just imagine there. So I was going to look at the numbers before we got on the call. I don't know what top pay is. Currently, um, but let's assume dayside driving a UTR. Let's say I, I, let's say it's four hundred dollars. So you get four hundred dollars for that shift, and you go night side. That shift I, pays, I believe, five hundred and five five hundred and change. That's nine hundred dollars. You just made in a day, right? That's my math: four hundred plus five. That's nine hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So that is part of how the average. Longshore person makes one hundred and ninety five thousand dollars because they do work double shifts. There's also weekend pay, which is time and a half. There's holiday pay, time and a half. We have a lot of holidays. Like um, last week, it was Harry Bridges' birthday, and you guys have probably never heard of Harry Bridges, but he is the <laughs> one who he is the man here. He he helped. He he made he made this happen. This union is in place because of Harry Bridges. He fought for it. So it's a, it was his birthday, so that was holiday pay for us. So if you work that day, it was time and a half. And if you, again, we can use those numbers I gave you earlier. If a regular shift driving UTRs four hundred dollars, time and a half makes it six hundred. So it, it it adds up. It adds up quickly sometimes, um, but then you also have different skill level jobs. So your crane operators. They're, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because of the skill level that they're, they're getting paid for. Their job is also a little bit more dangerous. It's, it's, um, you drop a container, you kill somebody potentially. Like there is a lot more that goes on than, than just moving these containers. You have to, you have to have it all together. You have to be, have a certain amount of health. Your vision has to be good. Um, these containers, the, I'm sorry, these cranes are super high up in, I don't know how many feet they are. The cab is like at the top, you go back and forth, you slide that thing. Even the transtainers that are in the terminal, they're not as high, but still like you've got to be able to, so to have good vision, to be safe. So, um, and I think that number that they have added that they have on their website is, um, all of those different skill levels plus the double backers combined. But yes, the money can be good. PMA oh, does not like that. The, the shipping companies don't like paying us either.
2: Yeah, I, I would imagine they don't. Um, benefits, decent benefits working for the union?
0: Yes. So um, health benefits are incredible. Um the pension is, is very nice. It, you know, it, 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 what it also has to do with some of what you put into it. How many years are you, have you worked in there? How many, um, how much time have you put in? That's what you're kind of going to get out. But yes, it's the pension is amazing. The health benefits are for forever. Like when, even once you retire, you, you have the health benefits provided by the union. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's worth the, the time and effort and sacrifice that you put into getting there. Um, they are like, I last time I checked, like prescriptions were a dollar, office yeah. visits were a dollar. And I say that and it's great. But at the same time, I I haven't seen the list recently, but I know about a decade, a little more because I've been married 11 years. So over maybe 12 years ago or so, there was a survey put out and West Coast longshore workers were the third most dangerous job in the country. It was like behind, I want to say New York firefighters and someone else and then West Coast dock workers. So it's a dangerous job. You put you put a lot of it, it's even if you don't feel like the danger level is there, like it takes a toll on your body as well. If you just imagine driving a semi-tractor for six or eight hours a day and getting a container landed on you over and over and over, it's going to take a toll on your back after a while. It's going to take a toll on your neck. Things are going to hurt that you were like, that. Will, why is that hurting? But, But yes, the pay is good. The benefits are even better. So again, you, you sacrifice.
2: Well, you've been very generous with your time. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick it over just to like our little extended version because I have one other question I have to ask you. Okay. I don't want to sensationalize anything. I'm sure you've seen some pretty nasty stuff, but do you have a funny story that you can share with us about something that's happened there where you just go, I can't believe that just happened.
0: Oh, Ed, you didn't prep me for this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I here's what I do know. I know that you said it's a very dangerous job and you've told me stories in the past of how dangerous it is. Um, but I'm curious, uh, I would imagine just like in any other job, once you start, you do it for a while, you get maybe a little complacent, absent-minded, maybe a little extra sleepy, Yes. I'm just curious if you had something that, uh, you know, that wasn't gruesome, but you could kind of share. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I won't tell you guys about that guy's hand who got ripped off um, or the guy <laughs> who got smashed. I won't tell you guys those stories, but let me, let Thank me, you. There, there is one because it, it. it's true. It happens. It happens. So um, a few months back, I was working, driving UTR, minding my own business, going, going around in a circle. And and I say that kind of like half-heartedly because you, you do make a lot of left turns because you know terminals are usually square and they're all lined up like blocks. And, and yeah, so I'm going around, driving my UTR, minding my own business, coming up to the crane. I may have said container a couple of times when I should have said crane, but coming up to a crane so that I can... I don't remember if I was going to get a container or drop off a container. I think I was going to get a container, so the, my trailer's empty in the back. We also we call that a bomb cart, just in case I, I say that at some point. So I'm pulling up my my UTR. My bomb cart's empty. And all of a sudden, I hear this like noise. I'm like, what is that noise? And I look over just in time to see a container bounce off the floor. It got knocked over by a top handler. I'm I'm sure it was an accident. He didn't bring his beam down fast enough and he wasn't paying attention. I'm I'm sure I didn't talk to him, but I can only imagine the story. Probably made a turn. He was going this way and he knocked over a 20-foot container. It was five high. So five containers stacked up. It was number five. Knocked over. I saw it bounce on the floor, kind of like a ball. That's wild. Okay. Well, I'm glad I wasn't driving right in front of him at the time because that could have gone poorly. I'm glad there wasn't anybody parked there because sometimes our clerks will park. I want to yell at them every time. I want to yell at these people because I'm like, you're so stupid. You're in this little pickup truck and I'm in this thing and it can knock you over. And you know what? You irritated me so much. I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I don't say that and i don't hit them and i keep going and i make sure not to get fired because that <laughs> will fire me for that
2: listen ivana you've been super generous with your time uh these usually go 25 minutes we're coming up on an hour um i i wanted to have ivana join us because um, there is different types of occupations jobs careers all over the place And frankly, I just think you're a badass for doing what you do. And I wanted folks to hear what it's like out there. I mean, we drive by on the bridge or we drive by, we see all these ships out in the middle of the ocean. And you're like, well, that stuff ever going to get delivered? Who does that? Right. And now we know somebody who does it. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, It's not my turn to wrap. I introduced. So I'm going to kick it over to my co-host Capri. She's going to wrap for us this evening. Capri, get us out of here.
3: <laughs> I got pranked. I thought I was gonna close next week, but I got you. <laughs> all right. So, um, thank you again, Ivana, for sharing us sharing with us a little bit more about what you do. Super interesting. I personally learned so much because, like I said, like I I wonder that all the time. Every time I'm like over the corner of a Bridge and I see the yards, I'm like, oh, huh. Um, that was super informative. And if you for our listeners if you want to come back for some more this is the two old kids and two young adults podcast and if you like it you can subscribe to our channel, our YouTube channel and make sure to listen, keep listening
2: thanks appreciate it, it good job you're getting better and better every single week that you have to do it
3: that I get shocked into doing <laughs> Make sure and subscribe to this show so you don't miss the next
0: episode of Two Old Kids and Two Young Adults podcast. We want to hear from you as well. You can email us at 2OK2YA at gmail.com.